0: We have arrived. We yep. have arrived. Your yeah. samples Kirk Cousins had a good year. Quavo gets cooking.
1: First year, it's <laughs> over October, October. We're cracking. Um, didn't think I'd make it through, but um, <laughs> stronger men prevail. Yeah, with, and with, with Halloween Burski, dude.
2: weekend, dude. That's tough.
1: That'll get yeah. you. dude. I was sitting on the sidelines. Um, you know, four or five weekends. It was kind of nice. I haven't sat out. Since I was like 15, you know, but you're not
0: a sideline player, Chuck.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, and when I am on the sideline, I'm sitting right, I'm standing right next to the coach waiting for the, waiting for the call, you know, get in there. They're we'll in third and short, get a stop. But um, yeah, we're welcomed with Joey Ellis. Thanks for joining the show, Joey. If you want to uh, introduce yourself to the splitting gap faithful, that'd be great.
3: Yeah. I uh, Beachler and I are Catholic central uh, buddies back in the day. I'm currently in Lansing as I work as a sports reporter at uh, Channel Ten here at the TV station.
1: Yeah, sounds good. Um, so we got Sparty and uh, Big Blue represented here today, along with the yeah. the two domers. But um, I say that's where we jump right in, uh, Beach. I don't know if you wanted to start on your thoughts following well- the game on Saturday. You know it's always good to beat the little brother. You know what can we say? <laughs>
0: uh, it's always good. Uh, obviously, state covered, so we'll give we'll give respect to state there. Uh, definitely thought the touchdowns would fly a little bit more. Um, I know we were talking about this last week. Like I just feel like I'm always waiting for Michigan to show what great teams do, and that's like throwing the football, dynamic plays. Um, I think they have the playmakers it's just that that's what I want to see out of a game like that like where you start to see like pure dominance um, you didn't a lot of field goals thank God we have the best field goal kicker in America um, but yeah we're able to ultimately put the Sparties to bed and uh, maybe even put a couple behind bars there in yeah.
3: the end so
0: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it was a great game honestly. Um, Good game. Always good. I think night game was pretty cool, too. You never really see that. Um, I'm more of a big noon kickoff guy, but I remember like that first time like Michigan played Notre Dame under the lights. Uh, That was just a cool experience. So I think it's just always cool to see a rivalry game under the lights no matter what. But
3: Yeah, it's a good atmosphere, Beach. Um, I agree. I agree with you, though, about the Michigan thing. I've been waiting on them all season to see, you know, what they are. I mean, their non-conference schedule is so laughably horrific that I think, you know, they got excused for that a little bit. Um, but then, you know, even the divisional crossover, they, you know, yeah, you get Iowa, but the offense is so bad. It makes your eyes bleed. Um, but you know, even the MSU game, I'm still wondering if Michigan trusts McCarthy throwing the football, um, I mean, they didn't seem like they had much confidence in him dropping back and throwing. And like you said, they have guys. Maybe Andrew Anthony could be the guy to kind of step up and be that wide receiver one. I haven't seen it yet this year. I mean, you saw it in the MSU game last year. But it might not matter when they run the ball as well as they do with Corum and Edwards and the O-line, which I think might be better than last year. Um, But still left me with some questions about Michigan. I think the secondary is vulnerable. I mean, MSU, who whose offense is just a fireable offense to the game of football, was able to move the ball pretty easily through the air. And then for whatever reason, you know, Jay Johnson gets away from throwing the football and then Michigan has much more success stopping the run, which is maybe just as bad. Um, So I don't know. I mean, like you said, stalling out in the red zone was probably concerning. Moody bailed him out. If you do that against, in Ohio State or anybody greater, past that, you're gonna have issues. I mean, even Illinois, I think, is gonna be a a good matchup in two weeks for them. That'll be a test. Um, but yeah, like you said, and then the whole post game incident, which we go like three hours on. Um, I mean, it, do we still
0: have any answers there? I feel like yeah. I see like a different shot every time. I mean, yeah, I think it's a little extreme to be in a, for criminal charges here. I'm like. At the end of the day, they're kids, you know, yes. they're, they're young kids. It's an emotional game. I don't really think we should be should be ruining people's lives here. No. Um, but I, I definitely think it, it's something that I don't think I've seen really. I mean, the only comparison, honestly, is like Miles Garrett, like giving Mason Rudolph the work with the helmet, right. obviously. Yeah. And that was crazy. So I never seen anything like that. Um, I don't like how people are like, oh like Michigan only one tunnel like what are you doing? I'm like the stadium is older than you So well, only has one
3: tunnel as well. I was it gonna is, say like, that's
0: that's not uncommon in football
3: yeah you know, with
2: the one tunnel. But.
0: People like think it is' just the peanut gallery like talking no. about it.
3: Yeah I mean I'm, like
0: the, the tunnel's given us some great moments too I mean that like I know like HBO's got that cool documentary about the game between Michigan and Ohio State right. and they just go at it in the tunnel. Yeah. And that that's one of the most like chilling videos I've seen is like a Michigan fan, like gets you fired up. And it wasn't even, it wasn't like that. I mean, that's just like, you know, fuck you bitch back and forth, yeah. you know, like, just like we're getting teed up to play. This was just like, all right, w- one, what are Michigan players doing? Not like celebrating with the team, like right. you know, fans, stuff like that. Like I don't know why we need to get all in, in Michigan state's business. And then, too, it's just there's, there's no need to assault a man. I mean, it's no, I mean, honestly like yeah, exactly.
3: that. That's the one thing that people – both things can be true. You know, Absolutely. Michigan players not, you know, celebrating with the team. Definitely there was some instigating. I mean, there has to be. There's no – and this rivalry has gotten more bitter by the year, and it's gotten more harsh and way more personal, it seems. But, again, like you said, the MSU player, you can't react like that either. I mean, you have to – you have to lose and just, you lost the game on the football field. You got to get out there and like, it, it's on the players. You got to be much better than that. Um, it's a bad look. I mean, you got dominated on the field and, and then you let that transpire and you let them get in your head like that. You just can't do that. And it plays right into the hands of, you know, what Michigan was hoping to kind of get out of that. Um,
0: yeah. Uh, yeah. Honestly too. Like, to that point, like it just kind of feeds into like the egotistical, like Michigan fan where it's like, sure. Oh, like state, they are a bunch of criminals. Like we're the higher university. We it's such the, a character.
3: the holier like, than the, yes, it, it's a thing. Absolutely. A
1: thing. Yeah. So that that just the, feeds into the, it too. The tunnel that I've, that everyone keeps talking about is such a cop out. Like, Oh, it's brutal. There's like Marty said, yeah, it's not uncommon and, those same people. And I think most people would agree that it works really well at times. Like I was seeing old videos before the game, whenever, you know, you're next to the, to the fellas you're about to go to war with for 60 minutes. And then after the game, whether it's, you know, bad blood and, and, uh, kind of contention, or if it's, you know, saying what's up to the kids you played high school ball with or shaking up and giving your respect, I think it, I think it's a net positive in most situations where you're able to like share a cool moment that either, you know, juices the game up a little more because there's a little chippiness. And I know it's like some of the greatest games we've ever seen played have those those pregame incidents that, uh, you know, we love to get into and show right before kickoff. Oh, this happened. You know, you you guys didn't see this on the broadcast, but there were some words exchanged. And I don't think that. The tunnel is the issue or else, you know, there'd be a problem every week virtually if every kid just has angst for one another. But I I do think that just dude, the helmet, the using the helmet as a weapon is like the worst thing you can possibly do in maybe any sport physically. Like you could kill someone, you know, at at any moment you could kill someone by striking them with a helmet and I don't think that there should be some crazy crackdown legally but it'll be interest I'm interested to see how Tucker and mSU kind of handles it um, down the stretch with kind of you know how they discipline these players after the game
2: it's interesting because my my thought on it is football is probably the most violent sport you can play as as like a human being or at least one of them and you got you're out there and I don't know if the kids were starters or whatnot I didn't read up on who it was but even if they're special teamers dude if if you're on special teams you can absolutely blast blast somebody if that's like what you really want to do you know what I mean if you truly hate them or I don't know if it was some personal vendetta that they had against the, the kid that got assaulted or whatever was going on but Offense, defense, even if you don't start, you're on special teams. You, can, you get to hit somebody for an hour every game you play. And then after the game, I, those guys clearly didn't get it out during the game because they went and beat the hell out of that guy. But I don't know. Yeah, well, I, I'd I be will, surprised I, if they stay on the team. I don't know.
0: I will say the initial assumption was you could see number one for Michigan. Uh, the initial assumption was that it was Andrell Anthony, who is a Lansing native. So they thought he was going up and, and talking that shit to state. Uh, it, it wasn't Andrell Anthony; it was just another number one. But th- that was the initial assumption when people saw number one in there. They were like, "Oh, this has got to be Andrell Anthony, Lansing native, you know, talking that shit." And but I mean, it wasn't. Thank God, because that guy actually plays. It was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, none- something that shouldn't happen. You know, it just shouldn't. There's no place for it in the game.
3: I had to just say quickly, you caught me in a bad time on my dinner just coming out. So that's why I will be quiet for a minute.
1: Yeah, no problem. Uh, <laughs> I I just think the the second video that sir, at least that I saw that came out was the helmet, um, which I think is much worse. The other thing is just the, the, I don't know that there's a right way if someone is instigating, which uh, obviously those other shots came out that showed that uh, Michigan isn't. Uh, exactly the angel or just the kind of victim that had nothing to do with anything and was just the innocent bystander here, but they might've been doing some jawing that led to it. But as, as soon as it becomes like a jump, it's, it's a problem and kind of the hammer needs to come down. As soon as you take your helmet off and start like, like bro, what do you need your helmet for when there's, when it's 30 on one, you know what I mean? Like what, why? you're not exactly losing this fight, nor can you lose this fight. I don't know that the helmet's necessary. And again, interested to see what comes of it. Not that, um, I think it would have been more interesting if it was Michigan and you might be looking at losing players down the stretch for a national championship run. That's where it becomes a really big deal because it's like, well, we know these guys, it means a lot more to discipline them right away because they'll be missing games that they I mean they're looking to win a national championship but um I really don't think it's that big I think it's kind of blown out of pro- proportion I think it's just feelings getting the best of people and they happen to be in the proximity that is the big house in the tunnel I'm
0: gonna set it better myself Chuck honestly it just It was a uh, bad ending to a – I don't want to say good game because it wasn't really that enjoyable from a fan (laughs) perspective. But, you know, for a Michigan fan, it was a
3: good game. One in the big ups. I'm telling you, just there might be a little bias involved as an MSU grad, but for as bad as MSU is, that fourth and one stop in the the first quarter, when they got stopped there, I looked to the guy next to me and said, that's the game. That's it. I mean, in the first quarter. Yeah. just considering, you know, Michigan, I mean, they were letting MSU hang around. MSU gets six there, and then you you get the whole psychological here we go again thing creeping into Michigan's head when, you know, you're down 14-10. Offense has mm-hmm. of the ball, and it gives MSU some like, hey, we can actually do stuff. And then when they, you know, call that brutal fourth and one out of a timeout makes it even worse. Um, I mean, that was the game you're you're not going to get many chances down there. And they totally pissed it away.
0: Like you kind of said it though, going back to this, like, you know, not the fight, none of that. Like we're eight weeks in, right? I mean, Michigan sitting at eight, no fifteenth ranked team in the country. You got four weeks left in the regular season. I, I, I am tired of seeing Michigan not be able to slam the door on opponents. That's kind of what we were talking about earlier. And I love the run. I mean, I love it, especially when you have the best line in football. You got a top four guy who could be sitting in New York for a Heisman finalist in Blake Corum, a great uh, backup, good receivers, good quarterback who can throw the ball, let it loose. The commitment to the run is unbelievable though. And unless you're like breaking some of these like home run hit ball, like that you're ripping seventy yards. That it doesn't crush the morale of the opponent because they're always one play away. I mean, you could take nine minutes, Michigan could, and score a TD. And a and a team like Ohio State, where you commented on Michigan's like lapse of secondary performance in that game, Ohio State could take one play, Jackson's nice. a jig by eighty yards, and then it's like, okay, well now. We literally have gone 10 minutes. Ohio State's controlled the ball for 30 seconds, and it's a tie game. That's more crushing to the Michigan offense, I think, than it is to the Ohio State like defense. that They let up a nine-minute drive. It's like you got to be able to shut the door on opponents and, and have those pass plays where you can get – I mean, I've heard speed and space preached at the Michigan program for I think four years now. I don't think I've seen any speed and yeah. space.
1: yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, uh, about I mean, you made make the point of shutting the door on opponents. Like over the last couple of years, there's been plenty of teams that have made it to the playoff or to the national championship. I mean, if you're not talking about Alabama or Ohio State, that, that's not uh, an obscure or, you know, that's something that happens, I think, frequently. I mean, we've seen that's always been a problem that. consistent with Notre Dame where they're clearly the better team they can beat them up front and you don't know why they'd even drop back to pass with you know future all pros on their offensive line and it's just so frustrating knowing you're the better team and you're going to win the game but not putting them away in a fashion that looks dominant I mean this year Tennessee has has done this they have shut the door and I mean perfect example they come up against a very solid Kentucky team. And that game was over almost before it started. That door was shut. But I don't think many teams in the country right now are that are top five, top six teams are consistently shutting the door. And I think that's where this ranking is, is really, it's, there's a lot of, I think there's more volume in terms of teams that can potentially make a run here because there's less teams that are looking consistently dominant the first through the fourth quarter. And I mean, we saw it with Ohio State um, just before that Michigan game on Saturday.
0: I'd absolutely agree. I remember our first episode of the season when we were talking pre-season. Amaya, um, I, I posed the question, has, has have the floodgates opened? Is it is there more parity now? And I think through these eight weeks, we have seen a seven and one Bama team that is not looking like the Bama team of old, where they have dynamic receivers who make 70-yard receptions and 10-yard catches that turn into 60-yard runs, that they put the door, they shut the door on people. I mean, to your point, Tennessee's looking like that this year, but who would have thought that Tennessee would be ranked number one after week eight? I don't think anyone in America would Ohio state and Georgia were obviously had very high expectations. So it makes sense that they're at two and three. I still think Clemson is more junk than good. And I think we'll hopefully we see them exposed this weekend. And then you get like Michigan. Who's like, well, I think they could beat a good team if they bring their defense to play and run the ball and like pass correctly. And then Bama's just lurking. Bama's just lurking. they just are waiting for that opportunity to inevitably make the SEC championship and win it again and make the playoff. Because that's what happens every damn year, right?
3: Well, so I, I don't know. The Tennessee game, I mean, for as much talk as Tennessee gets winning that game, I mean, that was the most un-Nick Sabian Alabama game I've ever watched. I mean, they had 17 penalties that were yeah. at the most inopportune of times. And, you know, Bryce Young on a brutal shoulder goes in there Throws for over 400 yards, plays one of the best games he's ever played there. And, you know, they have a chance to win that game and, you know, narrowly lose. And it's kind of crazy. It seems like people have already written Bama off, which, as we know, is, you know, not wise to do as long as Nick Saban's on the sidelines there. Um, But like you said, Tennessee, again, everybody I thought heading in expected Georgia off that Oregon beat down to, you know, is this Georgia team going to be even better this year? And, Pretty crazy. I feel like we we haven't heard a whole lot about Georgia this season. I mean, they've just been quietly winning games outside of the Oregon game. They haven't, I I don't think, done anything insanely impressive. I think it's good for them that they host Tennessee. I think Tennessee is going to go in and win that game. Um, I mean, I don't think Georgia's offense is built to win a shootout like that. And Kirby Smart does not have good success against teams that score over 30 on him. And I mean, like you said, this Tennessee offense is very similar. I don't like to put it on the same level as that 2019 LSU team. Cause I mean, that was, that was the best offense I've ever seen in my life. It just, they were unbelievable. It's probably the best in, college offense of all time in, in every area. And, and they knew, they knew every snap that they, they just had the defense pre-snap and it didn't matter what the defense was trotting out there. And it, it was just, I mean, and it helped like when you had a Joe Burrow who was essentially a coach out there, but I mean, this offense is very close. They know exactly what they want to do. They have a you know veteran quarterback who's probably leading the Heisman race right now. Jalen Hyatt I, Hyatt, I swear, every time I'm watching is wide open going for 70 yards on a touchdown. He's been unbelievable. And they just got such Hillman Pillman back, who was probably their best receiver heading into the year. I don't know where he stands now. But, I mean, Josh Eiffel is he has that team legit, I, I think, I mean, Georgia was again picked to win the East, picked to get back to the playoff. But Saturday is going to be a good game. It, it, it will by no means be a an easy task for Georgia. Like I said, I think Tennessee wins that game.
1: Yeah, and I love I love the, what I've seen from Heupel and that he does not waver from his game plan, no. which is which is what you need, especially out of a second year head coach. And I kind of been looking into this. We were talking, I think, last week about Kirby Smart and his rise at Georgia and kind of how he started and now how he got to here second year after a lackluster first year, and then taking his second year team to the national championship in a game that we all remember was seemingly over. And then Tua comes in and (laughs) makes one of the most legendary plays in college football history. But yeah, Hyatt, I, I used to say, you know, I don't know how Alabama does it, but they get guys more wide open than any team I've ever seen. Like they run that RPO, and somehow mm-hmm. both a corner, a, a, an entire bracket has lost Devonte Smith by thirty yards, and he gets to kind of just backpedal into the end zone. That's how this Tennessee team is running. That's how that twenty nineteen LSU team is running. And you're exactly right. This Georgia defense is very good, but as we've seen over the last four or five years in college football. Offense is King. And if you can't score with the best of them, you're going to get left behind. And I don't think that this game like Vegas thought at first, and I know it's been bet down a little bit, but I, I think Tennessee is a very good chance to go in and beat Georgia and Joey. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Georgia somehow as the reigning champ and a team that looked unbelievable, one of the greatest defenses we've ever seen last year, um, they've flown under the radar and they've kind of just, uh, yeah, after that Oregon win, and I want to talk about Oregon later, how after week one, if you would have thought that Oregon Mm -hmm. is in the top 10 in the playoff rankings, I would have told you, you were crazy, you know, after getting absolutely washed by Georgia. And now they're, they have a, they have a route to a possible playoff here, but I cannot wait for this game. I think it's probably the game of the year and I think I think it could be an all-time classic. Oh, going off – One last – yeah. All right, go I, ahead. I was going
2: to say uh, one last thing on this game um, or point I wanted to make is if Tennessee truly is like a – or very good – or good enough to win a national championship, a game like this reminds me of – we brought up 2019 LSU when LSU beat Bama, when mm-hmm. everybody's like, yeah, you know LSU's amazing, but like, all right, now here's Bama, so let's see. Right. Let's see what they really are, and they went in and beat them. So, if I mean, if Tennessee truly is legit, they're going to need a showing like that is to solidify them. And then everybody around college football is going to be, like, shaking their head like, yep, okay. Well, one more thing, too.
3: Like, the Tennessee – another thing, like, LSU did in 19 is, like, you know, how much tempo they use offensively. And Tennessee, you know, they get that first down and they are moving. They don't let any team substitute, which, you know – there's very few teams in college football where if you're not able to sub defensively, you just have to live with the guys you got out there and hope to God, you can make stops. And I mean, Georgia is one of the few teams personnel wise who could do that. So that is very, uh, that's the matchup I'm looking for is how Georgia, you know, fares against that tempo because Hypo loves to move. So it's going to be uh, like you said, I, I think it's going to be probably the game of the year, like Bama LSU from 19 for sure. I think
0: it's honestly going to be, reminiscent to you were talking about smart second year remember they played oklahoma on that rose bowl and that was just a very interesting game because it was like well heisman baker is like throwing the ball like a madman like airing it out total air raid offense big 12 on full display it's like damn this could be this could be their team but then the dogs were just ground and pound man i mean nick chubb sony michelle it was just like just give our guys a chance, and then let's make a stop in the end with, a, with another great D that year. So that's what I honestly think it's going to be like this year because what you were talking about with Georgia, Stetson Bennett honestly hasn't impressed me. I kind of thought this year is like given that he won a national championship, it's like, okay, you know, he was a cry last year. Maybe we kind of give him more control this year. He's making more dynamic throws. We've seen flashes of it, but, like, honestly, like I thought he'd be sitting in New York as a finalist. I mean, top four team probably going to make the playoff quarterback of that team, defending national champion. Like I kind of had him as a shoe in for that. And so with him not really making these dynamic throws and, and really extending the game in the way that Hendon Hooker and Hyatt will and Heupel with their whole offense moving that fast, I think it's going to come down to Georgia D and then kind of just ripping off some of these runs like reminiscent to that. OU Georgia
1: Georgia. Yeah. And we, we have seen this Georgia team lull offensively, especially. And I do think we've seen higher highs from Bennett this year. Um, A lot with his legs. I think he was showing with that. He is a dynamic runner, first of all, which can break open a defense, especially with guys on, on that offense that are just some of the most, some of the best athletes in the country. And, they have lulled. I mean, they probably should have lost that game against Missouri. Yes, they should have. Uh, which was a phenomenal game. Missouri had a couple. They, I knew this, and this is it. Go how it goes with Ohio State, how it goes with Georgia, how it goes with Bama. When you get, when you settle for three, when you get the ball down to the, as soon as they settle for three, and this put them up. I think 10 point, you know, the game is lost because when you're not scoring touchdowns, you're not beating Bama. You're not being the Buckeyes. You're not beating the Bulldogs. And it's unfortunate because, well, I guess at this point it might not matter as much because team, even if you have one loss like Alabama, you could still control your own destiny but that is where the different shows we have not seen really a lull at all with this Tennessee offense. We're thinking it might, it might come and hooker might be humbled a little bit and, and high it might be contained against Alabama. And that just was not the case. And Joey, like you said, with that tempo, you just make everyone, even the best recruits, the best athletes in the country on the defensive side of the ball, incredibly uncomfortable. And, when you have a coach in Heupel, that's not going to get away from that. And he knows that's, you know, the best scenario for his offense, he's going to stick to it and he's going to run it and he's going to air raid down until you guys are gassed. And until that big pr- play breaks and Jalen Hyatt is going down the seam unscathed to the end zone. So I think we're, I think we're set up for an unbelievable matchup because I think Georgia is as they have flown under the radar people are much higher on tennessee and believing in tennessee i th- i think it might be a lower scoring game and i think we could get into the line later and who we like with the points but i could see i could easily see a, a 31-27 tennessee victory against georgia this weekend
3: how good is it though just to see tennessee back and being relevant in college football it's just it's good to see
1: I think it might be better than Texas. Like everyone's waiting, you know. Oh, Texas is back. Tex. When Texas is good, football's better. Yeah, like honestly, it plays second fiddle to that in terms of like when Tennessee. You know, everyone loved when Tennessee's back or when Tennessee's good. Football's better, and I think that is true for certain teams. But I mean, I wanted to. I had no skin in the game whatsoever in that Tennessee Alabama game. Yeah. And all I wanted to do – all I wanted to see was Tennessee win. So, Neyland was just the at the center of the universe. And and it showed. And they have some of the greatest fans in college football. And that stadium, that community, everything – football is better when Tennessee's good. And I love seeing a new team atop the playoff rankings.
0: Absolutely. It's just refreshing, what I was going to say. is, It's just refreshing to look at this top five. And you see, I mean <clears> – <throat> three teams really who jump out to me that just embody college football from like its start. Like, I mean, Tennessee is like a total blue blood Ohio state. I mean, Michigan, obviously Georgia, throw them in there. Clemson's been more recent news, but very refreshing to see Bama come in at six next two hours. Very good to see. Um, Yeah. So these rankings are interesting to me. Uh, I do think it's kind of funny. We see some PAC 12 loaded up. I mean, are Oregon, USC, UCLA, and Utah going to figure it out? Uh, I'm wondering who's going to come out of that conference, honestly. Uh, My pick is still SC because I think they're the most dynamic. Uh, I think they'll kind of ride that UCLA win into that conference championship and probably end up winning that and, you know, playing the Rose Bowl against who was – oh, question. Honestly, I saw this pop up. Does the runner up in the Big Ten get put in the so like assuming Michigan or Ohio State makes the playoff, does the runner up get put in, like the loser of the Big Ten championship make the Rose Bowl, or is it the second best team?
3: I, I don't know how they're doing it. I yeah, thought it was I second
0: be- I thought it was second best. I saw some dumbass prediction with Illinois in the Rose Bowl. I was like, what? I think it's plausible it might be it's plausible it's it, it could happen i mean you last weekend said northwestern to make the big shot yeah they they had a path they, they did have a path could but they now now they don't so did i, I think lose? illinois i didn't even see i'm just smoked check. yeah you know why cuz we haven't gotten our dumb intern yet was supposed to be checking on all this yeah shit, we need we need Giving us all guy. the stats
1: <laughs> yeah but stat I, I i do think that some of these teams that Kind of, uh, it makes it more, you know, explicit seeing them in the running when the playoff ranking comes out. Like we we've talked ad nauseum about the possibility of the multiple possibilities of how the SEC can shake out. Like it's almost if Tennessee wins on Saturday, it's basically a win and in. Like they don't have, I, if with a win over Georgia and Alabama, I I mean, assuming they don't lose two games before, but I, I don't think they don't need a sec championship to get in and that would open the door for Alabama who could then beat them in the sec championship. But we also are seeing at number 10 LSU who like Oregon after week one, you could basically throw in the, you know. Trash pail, you know, don't have to worry about them for the rest of the year. And they've gotten better and better each week. Somehow, I don't know if it's my, you know, subconscious, just still attached to Brian Kelly, who I've hated for years, even though he was our guy, like just somewhat attached to him and how his teams kind of developed throughout the year. But they're two t- two touchdown dogs this weekend against Alabama. And I think that game might be pretty close. That is another scenario where if, if Bama loses the second game, that opens things up for the possible Pac-12 team to make an appearance in the college football playoff. And the other game this weekend that I think that does that for for a TCU who I think was very disrespected. I think be. they I That's think they crazy. have I think they probably have the second best I think they have the second best resume in the country right now behind Tennessee.
2: Every week they beat a ranked team, it feels like. Yeah,
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think they have the second best resume in the country. They're left out of the top four, whatever. They handle their own destiny. But you see a Clemson team who obviously everyone has questioned all year, will they be able to beat teams that are at their caliber or close to their caliber? We haven't seen. We've seen the quarterback controversy, them not have it completely figured out. But when they're going to South Bend as three-and-a-half-point favorites – which I think a lot of people like questions about if Notre Dame takes this one, which I think is plausible. I don't think it's probable, but we could see in without, without having some absolute crazy chaos happen, a real path for an Oregon or a USC to make the college football playoff. And I mean, I don't know. I I guess I think Oregon's the better team because Bo Nix is playing out of his mind. I didn't think he had this in him after seeing just his inability to put full games together at Auburn. But I don't know. We could find. We could, after all said and done, see a, a Pac-12 team make their first college football playoff in a couple of years.
3: Well, that's the interesting. Like as you've been saying, the, there's so much more parity in you know potential playoff teams this time for the rankings being unveiled. And even like the first time they were unveiled last year, you kind of already had the sense like, oh, it's going to be these four or five teams. Like there are so many situations. I mean, even LSU, LSU could win out, be an SEC champ at two losses. And that could probably be the first two loss team in the playoff, because I don't know how mm-hmm. you'd keep them out with the resume and the wins that they'd have. Um, but the Pac-12, you got three one loss teams, the winner of that. I mean, a, a one loss power five team, regardless of, you know, the strength of this conference is going to have a, a legitimate chance, unless maybe it's like an ACC because the ACC is a little bit down. But the Pac-12 has been a pleasant surprise. It's been very competitive. As you said, four teams in the what top 12, 13. Um,
2: so, Oregon State
3: and, stuck in there, too. And Oregon State's a good team. <laughs> yeah. USC had to go there and battle. It, it, I think it was in overtime. Um, but like Vitro said, I mean, USC was my my preseason bold, bold-ass playoff pick. And I'm still sticking with them just because I think they've got the most talent in that conference, which sometimes doesn't say a whole lot. I mean, Oregon's right there and Phoenix is playing pretty damn well since that Oregon or since the Georgia game. But I mean, and then, yeah, TCU, I mean, if, if you're an undefeated power five champ, but I don't think TCU will go undefeated. They got a couple more tough games down the stretch before even getting to the big 12 title game. Uh, but if you're undefeated in a, big, in a power five champ, I, I think you're in no question, regardless if it's Clemson in the ACC, TCU in the Big 12. Uh, and again, there's always the possibility for two SEC teams, um, maybe even two Big Ten teams, but probably not since they'll both be coming from the same division, Michigan, Ohio State. But I think if anything, it's just finally encouraging that more teams matter at this point in the season already.
2: Yeah, for sure. It just means so much more is on the line with all of these games down the stretch. So like, I mean, we already brought up the PAC 12. I personally think Oregon is a better team than USC, just from the fact that I think the skeleton that Cristobal left when he went to Miami was a lot better than the skeleton that Helton left. And I know uh, what's his uh, Lincoln Riley brought in. I mean, Caleb Williams might be the best player in the country, arguable. He's up there at least, but I think Oregon's trench is just is gonna be a big factor in a game like that. So I think if Oregon's sitting there at one loss, it'd be interesting to see if if TCU picks up a loss. Who who would be in over a, a one loss Pac-12 or a one loss Big Twelve? Would you guys think?
3: jeez I don't know. See, like, I mean, yeah, that's it's, it's tough, tough, honestly. Summer. Yeah.
0: I think what it ultimately comes down to is the rankings the week before yeah. the conference championship because it's going to see like okay we look at it and you look at it and you say okay well TCU is going to be playing you know let's say Kansas State again and they're like both top ten and like eight Oregon is playing like fifteen ranked team it's it's not it's not the same kind of game I think the Pac-12 is a better opportunity where I think a lot of people are thinking, okay, Oregon versus USC for perhaps a spot in the playoff on the line. Uh, My initial fear is kind of hinting in what both kind of a lot of you guys have been saying here is if Tennessee beats Georgia and then Tennessee beats Bama again, you're sitting at one loss defending champion Georgia. I, I don't know if it comes down to this. I would hope not, but that loss will be staring at Oregon in the face that Georgia just routed them. I mean, how do you – how is that even right, putting them above Georgia? It's like literally head-to-head, they beat the fucking brakes off them. And we're going to give it to Oregon because they've won then 12 in a row and they're a conference champion when Georgia, their only crime, was losing a maybe four-point game to the number one team in the country. So that, that's what I think is interesting and where we could see Tennessee, Georgia in, and then Michigan or Ohio state. And then that last spot we're jarring between is, do we put in one loss Oregon or does TCU get in? Like that's where I think it's going to, when it comes down to it, and the more Oregon moves up, I think the harder it gets for them. Cause they just keep getting closer to Georgia and I don't think they can jump them.
1: And I, it's crazy with the conference schedules, all these teams play and the out-of-conference schedules that are usually, you know, n- don't look exactly like Michigan because, as we talked about last week, it is hard to schedule an out-of-conference uh, slate that bad. Like, legitimately hand-picking maybe three of the worst programs in college football right now.
0: It was actually, like, Dynasty and NCAA football, like, scheduling, yeah. like, FCS
1: East,
0: <laughs> FCS West, FCS North. but I'm like, all
1: right, cool conference it's crazy how often these head-to-head games end up kind of rearing their ugly head late in the season. Like, I mean, we had it last year with, with uh, Notre Dame, they lose outright to Cincinnati and Cincinnati is looking to become the first, you know, non-power five team to make a playoff. And, you know, as much as I, I would have hated this, Notre Dame didn't take care of business in the way that could have gotten them in down the stretch. But it's like, could they possibly put in a Notre Dame team with one loss over? I mean, this was all you know, loading based on if Cincinnati was able to win their conference championship. But these, they, there's somehow in some way through fate, whatever, that these head-to-head matchups end up mattering. And like I said earlier, who would have thought that we would even be talking about this game on Oregon's behalf after getting shellacked in Week One and looking like you know, okay, what, what does this season even mean to them at this point? So you have that. And the other thing that always makes me mad and I don't know the right way to kind of standardize it, but late losses mean so much more than early losses oh, yeah. to the committee and the people that are making, making these uh, decisions. And I guess theoretically you could say, well, uh, late loss, you've kind of established yourself as who you are and you're you're more you're farther along in your trajectory than you were, you know, week 1 when Oregon got smoked by Georgia. So they kind of weigh those and that's where it becomes a complete shit show and that's where I will not miss the 14 team playoff format when these won't matter as much, but it's like you're weighing a loss even if they're the same type of loss just based on when in the calendar they happened, which has n- just nothing to do with anything.
3: And that's the subjectivity of it, too, which is why so many people, it's always changing, too, every year. I mean, like Beecher was saying, you know, could if Oregon wins out, Georgia has maybe one loss. Like, could can Oregon get in without Georgia getting in? I have no idea. Um, but I would also like to believe that one could watch those teams in week one and then watch them 10, 11 weeks later in nobody could argue that Oregon's a much different team than when they played that week one. But again, it all comes back to the subjective nature of the whole playoff thing, which is such a crapshoot every year. And there's no, there's never any set guidelines. It's always just moving goalposts to cater to a certain situation, um, which is why I
0: think the, the, the thing there though, is like, But that's kind of isn't that a measurement, though, of where it's like, okay you played one of the big dogs. You went to better. You went to bed or you went to battle with the big guy. SEC, you got Trouse. Thank God you played in the Pac-12. You were able to rattle off 11 straight and then you show up for the number four. as the number fourth ranked team and you get the shit kicked out of you by Tennessee, Georgia, Bama, Ohio State, whoever it's going to be. And then it's like, okay thanks for showing up. That's what we've run into with the Big 12. I mean, I have honestly was more on the side of Oklahoma in years past because at least they're bringing a Heisman winner to the game. Bo Nix is great. He's not in the – I mean, he's not in the Heisman race because he threw for 800 interceptions against Georgia on negative yards. And I just don't see how we can – I don't think it's fair to allow that to get – I think it's a perfect medium where, you know, we need – we can't forget that they, that they played the SEC king and got killed. No. Well, we also can't be like, well, it's not like they haven't won, you know, 12 straight games and have a conference championship. Because, I mean, according Wait. to their criteria, that's it. You need Which a is exactly
3: why they're trending towards having to expand. Because an Oregon team can, can get killed week one, win out every game, go 12-1 and one and get left off because of other teams ahead of them. And I, I would understand that. But, again, at the end of the day – that team should still have the opportunity to be in a playoff. Like a 12-1 and team who would get left out, even if that could be Oregon, let's say, just because of other teams ahead of them. Like in a playoff, there is no situation in which that team should be left out to at least have the chance to play. If they play again, whatever, Georgia smokes them. It's like, all right, we knew that. We saw that week one, but they had at least – they have gotten in the field to compete for a championship, which is why ultimately – They're going to go the way of 12 teams because A, it brings in more money and B, it brings in more teams to the table, which is what they want to do and have more people still paying attention to college football in in week 10 rather than checking out. And And C, they listened
0: to this podcast and stole my idea last year.
3: That's the (laughs) whole reason. It's a
0: shame. It's a
2: shame too, because I think this year especially is a unique season in college football. Like we've been talking about, there's so much to talk about with all these scenarios that if they had the twelve team playoff this year, it it takes uh, a lot of the conversation out of it. But we we get to see all of these teams that are going to be around there at the end that are going to be in the conversation. We we actually get to see them play.
1: And well, beach, like, not- go ahead. Uh, well, to your you mentioned like Oklahoma and and kind of vouching for them to get in and and kind of that other sub- subjectivity that comes with. Well, they would just get smoked by Ohio State or that was that was something that I hated more than anything was that was always the conversation with it happened to be for what four or five years, either Oklahoma or Notre Dame filled in that fourth spot. And it was like, Yeah, they're they're if if that were the case and we went by that, it would have been a three-team playoff. Right. Because there was three teams that were so much better than everyone else, so even so much better than Notre Dame and Oklahoma who slot right into that second tier that was normally two or three teams. You could throw an A&M of a couple of years ago in there and then kind of the rest of the field, but it's like, well then just have a three team playoff because Clemson, Ohio state and Alabama are better than everyone. Whoever's number one gets the bye. The other team plays to see who plays them in the national championship. And I'm hearing Paul Feinbaum after Notre Dame loses by three touchdowns, and he's like, oh, they should be banned from the playoff. I'm like, well, th- th- we we are seeing th- a format that's like, okay, the best four teams out of what, 130 in Division One be put in a position where there's four teams, two, right. two games, and then a national championship. And the fourth team is not close normally. And the average margin of victory in these conference semifinal games is 20, 20 points. Like the only two really good games we've seen were those Clemson, Ohio state games that we saw in back-to-back years that were competitive. The other games have just been absolute washes, whether it was Michigan state, whether it was Notre Dame, whether it was Oklahoma, and they're all getting smoked. And it's like, well, then does the, what does the four team playoff really do to you? And I, the, the thing that made me really mad was like, well, then, well, if you expand, you'll just have more of these, Teams, uh, you know, that'll get smoked. You know, you have a lesser team than even Notre Dame in that given year, get trounced by Alabama. Well, it's like, well, they couldn't be doing much worse than how they're doing already with a four team, because there's been almost very little competitive, very few competitive games mixed into what are supposed to be all time classic games when you get the Big Four together. So the only thing that opening up would do. Was give would give a different team with a different scheme an opportunity to create more parity because there's no difference between losing by 20 or losing by 30. You know, yeah. whether it's Notre Dame losing by 20 or it's a, you know, a USC or a, who insert name here of a team that's not Alabama, lose by 30, you know?
3: Yeah, I mean, there... I can't stand the subject subjectivity of all of it and all the hindsight. The, and I would always go to bat for Notre Dame. You know, they'd lose in the playoff and you'd have everybody, oh, they shouldn't have been in. Well, who should have been in over them? It, it, that, it was that season, it, it, whatever the season was, and they met the criteria. Like, you, you can't have a team going undefeated and leave them out. I, I mean, it just doesn't make any – I don't care. As long as they're in a Power Five or a you know, Notre Dame independent type team, which is, again – why there's so many issues with the current format and why they are ultimately getting forced to 12, because it makes too much sense. And again, they're going to get more money, which is the crux of college football and the bottom line for them. So I don't, I try not getting too caught up in it because it's just nauseating and nothing more than talking points for, you know, six weeks up until that final ranking. But I agree with you.
1: Yeah. So I, I cannot wait until they expand just because like, it's, I don't know how that the greatest, the greatest sport to me is college football. And I think we see every week, every weekend, we see an atmosphere, we see a game that just reminds you of that. How they've never been able to figure out how a playoff works or how it should work. Like they used to just uh, hand pick teams, you know, yeah. not without even playing a game. It's like, yo, know, Florida State congrats you're the national championships or the national champions without even winning a national championship game. And Marty, like you said, like with all these scenarios we're playing out and how the chaos that could ensue with the next few weeks and then conference championships coming up, like this is the perfect season where we could see a, a possible rematch between an Oregon and a Georgia where they get to meet again after Oregon has just put together two and a half months of fantastic football. And it's like, well, we, we saw this story written in September and now this Oregon team is completely different. Like those headlines, those games would be so great for the sport instead of having the, you know, AutoZone fucking Advocare 3000 bowl. Hmm. That doesn't mean anything having those games, those headlines were, and I think beach, this is something you were saying, like, having teams playing in unfamiliar atmospheres and unfamiliar conditions going up north. Like Notre Dame had played a game played a game in Georgia, I think, in 2019. And it was like the first time – or Georgia came to South Bend and it was like the first time that they had played a game north of the Mason-Dixon line in like 100 years. Like those kind of games where they're unfamiliar and there's different, different factors and different variables going on. But at the end of the day, you have – the 12, the 16, the eight, whatever it is, best teams in the country, and everyone gets their shot to either redeem themselves or prove that they are the best team in the country. So, yeah, I mean, I could talk until my head fell off (laughs) about how different teams can... Can make a we'll run. save
0: that for Paul Feinbaum. You get, he we'll needs see, a
1: job. He can, we're, we're he can be, fly into Chicago about, with his ears and maybe sit down and hop on the show.
2: We're going to be talking about it next year when Northwestern makes a run to the Big Ten championship oh for the auto oh bid into the playoff at 6-6. and six.
3: Mark, so you and
0: your auto <laughs>
3: bid. Yeah, fuck <laughs> the auto bids. And get rid of get right. the big ten, please. Yeah, that's I, another yeah, I, scenario.
0: I agree. I agree. I don't know. I don't like that though as a guy who looks forward to the day after or two days after Thanksgiving. It's like you're gonna start you would start to see a trend over some of these years where okay, sweet, we'll see you we'll see you in two weeks. We'll see you next weekend in Indy. I don't like that. I don't like playing two weeks in a row and it it's not from a perspective of like, oh, that sucks. You gotta play them again. I just think it just takes away from like what that game is like I'll, I'll, I'll give an unbiased perspective here alabama auburn how many times how many great games have we seen come like where it's like shit auburn like won, and then it's even if they're like a great team it's like shit they gotta play again no one wants to see that i don't think right. in back-to-back weeks as a consumer as a fan i don't want that given to me and i also think it's like I just think it's just a way for like the ratings to just play rankings to just play ping pong with each other again, it, it, yeah. where you rank these teams so high. And then it's like, well, number two, Ohio state lost to number four, Michigan, but then they played next week and the roles were reversed. But then it's like, Oh shit. Well, Michigan lost only to the number four team. And it's like, so let's move them down to six. It's, you don't move at all. It's just, yeah. you, you just, the the loss becomes a win in some, in some instances. It's, There's
3: it's, too, it's, I mean, you know, for like, In Illinois perspective, like winning a division title means a whole hell of a lot to them, you know, more so than the Ohio States who are winning it all the time. And so from that perspective, I like the divisions. So whether it's Big Ten, just going back and evening them out, because let's be honest, the Big Ten West is never, ever, ever going to be remotely on par to what the East is. It's just the style of football they play. It's it's not doesn't even equate. But at the same time, no one wants to see a forty-eight. Or what was it, 44-3 beatdown of Iowa last year who should just, you know, suspend the program with how bad they've been? I mean, it's just nauseating. So at the end of the day, you still want to see the best two teams playing in the conference championship game. And whatever team from the West, it's usually safe to say they are not one of the best two teams because, you know, at least from a Big Ten perspective, it's been the East. There's been three or four teams any given year that could it seemingly come out of there. Whereas the West, it's like, yeah, Wisconsin, maybe uh, Iowa who can't score. And this year, you know, Illinois is a darn good team. And if they're able to win the West, that is a reason for maybe keeping that vision. But I don't know. We'll see what they do once UCLA and USC get in there as well.
0: I, I feel like Wisconsin used to just be like such a better and more respected program, honestly, where it yeah. was like, you kind of wanted to see, looked forward to tuning into. Lucas oil stadium and seeing the Badgers play the Buckeyes. Like those have been like, those were like some good games, honestly.
3: Yeah. Sometimes
0: other times they were absolutely troused by the Buckeyes. Right. And I mean, I've gone, I've talked about this before. And like, I, I agree that this year, I I think it was kind of, you saw it at the end of the year, last year, floodgates are starting to open with college football. Like it's just more accessible for players to get different places. Great coaches are coming up in new places. And I just feel like, that A team like Ohio State now isn't just going to like be dominant that entire time. I mean, no. hell, you saw Michigan broke that up last year. I mean, right. Penn State, I think, needs to figure some shit out. I'd like to see them get a new guy instead of James Franklin, but oh. State's been a good program in the past decade. I mean, State has a playoff appearance. Michigan has a playoff appearance. Ohio State's got a few of them. I, I just feel like Wisconsin used to be kind of up there where it was like, hey, they're a team that – oh, maybe they lost, but, like, they won the Rose Bowl and beat, like, a fun Oregon team. And so it didn't look that bad. But now, I mean, you're touting, like, a Northwestern team out there that sucks. I mean, you're seeing, like, it's just not good. It's not good for the Big Ten Championship.
3: That's what Chuck was saying is, you know, offense is everything in college football now. And those Big Ten West teams just refuse to come to the times. You're seeing it in Iowa. They – I just – it just blows my mind that Kirk Ferentz's son is still an employee at the University of Iowa it, with the offense that they trot out on a weekly I mean, it's disgusting. And Wisconsin is the same deal. They're great up front. They've had so many good backs, but they just don't stress defenses, you know, throwing the football. And even like the firing of Paul Christ, it was so un-Wisconsin-like doing it when they did it during the season for a team who didn't seem quite off the rails yet. They were certainly trending down, but it's just those teams in the West, maybe outside of Purdue who just have no, you know, modernization of their offenses. There's a reason why they're continuing to fall far and far behind. And it's it's why it's getting even, you know, less exciting to see those teams in in Indy for sure.
1: And it works for like a quarter, you know, like sometimes they'll, they'll play the, crossover game and and a Big yeah. 10 West team you get into some shit fest some right. you know 11:30 central it's 11:30 central and it's there's been 18 yards of total offense at 0-0 after the first quarter but then the east figures it out and it yeah. ends up a 27-6 game and yeah they really there is a complete kind of style discrepancy between the two sides and i think most fans of most teams and most conferences would agree that the sport grows, the competitive competitiveness grows when you get rid of the divisions because they're somewhat arbitrary anyway, and the, oh, yeah. the geography. I mean, they're they're based, you know, all oh, the legends and leaders. Glad they got rid of that, but then uh, you get you get into the the actual geography of the West and the East, and those never really you know turn out to be. <laughs> geographically accurate anyway so I think it, it without a doubt is better for the sport if you were able to kind of just disband these divisions and then you have every year the two best teams in your conference playing for the conference championship.
0: Playing a little devil's advocate here though you brought up like how shitty Michigan's like non-schedule was though
1: yeah, imagine
0: right. if they didn't get the opportunity to play like I mean it keeps keep state because it's a rivalry game but like play let like, you lose out on playing Penn State you know Cause you got to go and play fucking Nebraska. Like it's just more of a crossover there where you're not sticking to your biggie, like the, not biggie, but like the big 10 East. Where well, you Michigan don't have to schedule, year, schedule
1: UConn and Colorado no. state, you know, no, if, if you got Nebraska saying. on the, bra- on the slate for that season, maybe go out and, and play an Oregon or, you know, get I'm someone saying, in town in that, that it's going to be a good instance, game. this instance,
0: it would have hurt them even more. And I just feel like some of those teams, like, you know, you don't want to go do it. As a Penn – I think I can speak for a lot of people here. As a Penn State, a Michigan, a Michigan State, and Ohio State fan, you look forward to playing those other three teams every year. Oh, yeah. That wouldn't happen. And then you mix in, like, oh, a good Iowa. A but good as a State,
1: Michigan you know, fan, West Beach, if, if you replace that Penn State game with Nebraska, are you sitting at a different spot in the rankings right now?
0: No. I mean, no, because we beat the shit out of Penn State,
1: so – But that's where I think is like, well, if if you don't have a if you're not one of the you know, if you're not Alabama, really, I mean, they're usually the outlier for these things. But like if you don't have if you're undefeated and you've looked good and you haven't played, I mean, if you're Clemson, I get that Syracuse is a decent team. But like it's not going to really it's not going to tank you in the rankings. We've seen that teams that are kind of ride it until the later conference games where they're actually playing someone. It's not like strength of schedule really rears its head. If you're, if you're winning every game, I'm just playing a little devil's advocate here. You know,
0: I mean, it just, it just, it just makes yeah, your schedule inadvertently more junk. Like you could say that your schedule gets worse by having to factor in more big 10 West teams like that. That is a fact. So,
1: yeah, I, I agree. Um, I hear you. We're getting it we're getting at about an hour. I wanted to go through, um, think about how we thought about these lines coming up for this Saturday. We got some huge games, um, with playoff implications after seeing these rankings. So, um, number one, me and Martini are going to be down in South Bend this weekend. Clemson's coming to town and Clemson has become somewhat of a rival. We've played them four or five times, uh, in the last six or so years, starting off with the, uh, the hurricane game in Death Valley uh, that we end up losing on a two-point conversion. That kind of started the uh, the rivalry. Some of the games have been close. Some haven't. But I think this is going to be an interesting game. Notre Dame doesn't have as much to lose as in the past. Both teams were meeting with either both zero or one losses. So Notre Dame's got nothing to lose. Everything to prove. Game at home. Open. or Right now it's in at three and a half, which was... Not the spread I anticipated, but is there a way that Notre Dame covers this, or is there a way Notre Dame wins outright, or is Clemson going to win by two scores? What do we think?
3: I, don't know. I mean, we, we've we been waiting all year, too, to see if Clemson can put together a full four-quarter game, and they, I don't think, still have to this point. Um, Like you said, Notre Dame's played them tight the past couple of years, and they certainly could use— I mean, this would be their biggest win on the schedule by far, and Marcus Freeman, with the way kind of that season started, could certainly use it, but I don't know. I, I'm a big believer of just teams who've been there. I mean, Notre Dame's been there, don't get me wrong. I just don't think they've got the guys to hang on Clemson this year. I, I think Clemson handles them by two scores at least. I mean, it, it's big being in South Bend, and we'll see what happens there. But see, I the other I,
1: thing is Notre Dame hasn't, has not played their worst football at home. I know you get the home. three, but obviously – I don't right. know. I completely I see this being the type of game where Notre Dame kind of keeps it close a little bit, but, yeah. you know, last 10 minutes or so, Clemson really comes out and yep. uh, score, stop, score, kind of finishes like that.
0: I like Clemson by a field goal. I think the line is the line for a reason. <clears throat> I think too many people are going to rush to bet three and a half Clemson money line. It seems like so obvious. I mean, they're literally the fourth ranked team in the country. Playing at Notre Dame, to your point, who Notre Dame sucks at home. Like it seems way too obvious. And I think it's three and a half for a reason. I'm just I just really like Notre Dame plus three and a half for, for anything for no other reason than what I just said.
2: I mean, I'm seeing like seventy-five to eighty percent of the publics on Clemson. So I'll be I'll yeah, be taking Notre, Cam or
1: Notre Dame. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think for I think we'll probably see at least two and a half quarters of, of solid football oh, yeah. on Saturday and, from this and game. One,
2: the thing is, I mean, Notre Dame's lost some absolute stinkers, but they've it, every team that, that's been solid that they've played this year, they've played up to. And it's been – every game's been a good game.
1: BYU, UNC, and, and Syracuse. Yeah, I mean, those and, were
2: – And Ohio State.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, so, I mean, we've played – we might as – we've played three of the worst games I've seen Notre Dame play in – in Marshall, in Cal, who's terrible, and in Stanford. So um, Marcus Freeman said it and I, I actually like the I I don't like his coaching style right now because every time they show him and they show him a lot, and I don't mind seeing him, he's a great looking guy. But every time they look at him, show him on the broadcast, he looks like he's worried Plus. he's about to lose his job. Every single time. Like he it looks like they just said bring your playbook. You know, he's got that face, which is very disheartening as a fan to see because he always looks so nervous and he looks like he's trying to not fuck up and you can't coach trying to not fuck up. That that never works, but we'll see. I mean, if, if trends stay the same, we won't see a complete game from Clemson and we'll see Notre Dame play up to their competition. So hoping for a good one in South bend onto the next one, uh, Kansas state coming off, maybe their program's biggest win. Um, Mike Gundy's biggest loss, Oklahoma State, who was kind of a dark horse this year, obviously returning Spencer Sanders, who's been there for a millennium. Gundy obviously plays phenomenally, is phenomenally consistent, I should say. Um, 48-0, so Kansas State is looking fantastic right now. They're playing Clemson, and they're actually two and a half point, or they're playing Texas, I'm sorry, and they're two and a half point dogs to Texas. Is Texas the better team here? I feel like this line should probably be the other way.
3: What is it? Can, wait, Kansas State's minus two and a half or Texas?
1: There, Texas, uh, Texas, Texas is
3: given the two and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, God, I don't know. I mean, that just beat down over Oklahoma State last week. I literally, I don't think anybody talked about it for a second. I mean, there was so much other stuff going on. Um, yeah, we no, just I talked mean, for an hour and we're <laughs> just getting
1: to it now. Yeah. Right, we're
3: just getting to it. I mean, Kansas State is a good team, and what I think they lost it earlier. Tulane earlier in the season, who's now ranked, um, and is a good team. Um, I don't know. I I just I'm a big proponent in just you've got the better players. I mean, Texas is Bijan Robinson probably the best back in America. Um I like Texas, the minus two and a half. I think they're due for a you know an eye-opening win. And Kansas State's a good team, and this would certainly be the chance for them to do it.
0: I agree. Yours is really good. I just I just think Texas would have a trajectoryly different season if. Quinn Ewers didn't get hurt I mean I mean how just on top of possibly beating Bama that could have been even if they didn't could have been their only loss 12 and 1 conference champions I mean they look ridiculous with him he can Mm. throw he can throw the fucking football
1: yeah and he's had some growing pains you know to be expected but the thing is he would have been already through those growing pains at this point, if he didn't have to miss those few weeks. So I, I, agree with you, Beach. We could be, Texas could be in the top six right now. If, if yours doesn't go down in that Alabama game, because I think similar, I mean, Joe, you mentioned the undiscipline and the penalties in that Tennessee game much was the same in that Texas game. And, and Texas, even with um, card in there, should have won that game. But uh, Mark, what do you I,
2: uh I'm, Not on Texas. I'm on Kansas State in this one. From solely from the fact that I watched Texas play Oklahoma State, and yeah, obviously Kansas State just beat them down. But that's obviously an outlier kind of a game. But I saw yours definitely looked like he was he was he struggled in that game the whole game. I know he hurt his shoulder, so I don't know if there's stuff still lingering or what's going on. And. down the stretch when Texas had multiple chances to go down and like win the game or take a two score lead. I mean, yours did, was not making the throws. So if Kansas can, or I mean, if Kansas state can play a similar game like they played against Oklahoma state, I mean, Martinez is good too. And deuce Vaughn's a beast. He's probably a top five running back right up there with oh, yeah. Dijon Robinson. So oh, yeah,
1: we'll see. Yeah. I, I, I think
2: Kansas state'll cover.
1: I'm taking, I, I, I take Kansas state uh, money line just because I, I have a feeling Kansas state's going to be one of the big spoilers this year um, whether it's in the big 12 championship or, or just down the stretch here, um, you know, Colin Klein at the helm, absolute legend got yeah. on their offensive side of the ball. Uh, I just love, I just love what I've seen from them every game. They've seemed to be getting better. Um, Martinez is good. I mean, he's also been around forever and they've, Deuce Vaughn is an electrifying player. And I think I think yours isn't done with these growing pains. And I think he makes a couple mistakes, couple. The thing that I've noticed the most is he overthrows a ton and it's like the arm strength is there. And I don't know that he's fully gotten a grasp on how to contain it and how like he doesn't have to show it off, you know, show off the can in the golden arm every time is on kind of more simple route concepts he's he's overthrowing. So I think he makes a couple couple of costly throws and I think Kansas State takes it. Um we'll go UGA and Tennessee, the big one. Uh UGA's eight point favorites.
3: That's uh I mean as we talked about it earlier. We laid out the points for each. Um I mean you need you need offense in college football. I like Tennessee winning this one outright. I mean I, I just don't know if Georgia can keep up and attract track meet. I mean, we know they've got the defense, but at some point the dam's going to break against a very good offense like Tennessee. But this is also a really big, you know, very big road test for Tennessee as well. Uh, but I, I, I like the Vols. I think they keep it rolling.
0: Uh, I got to go. I just think plus eight is just such a great line to be able to get for Tennessee. Uh, I think even on the road, I mean, we brought up the points earlier. I just think you're moving, you know, fast-paced offense, stuff like that. You know, they they have opportunity to win the game. So I think I have to take plus eight. I I do think, though, that Georgia will win the game. Uh, I I just think that a lot of times it's like – not that the magic runs out, but I remember like talking last week about how – like perfect example, like Michigan-Georgia, you you might try and – it's a big game, you know, we got to make this play. And maybe you go for the fourth and one, you shouldn't have. And then you give the dogs the ball at midfield and, you know, we're off and they they crush you. So that's where I think, you know, I'm a big fan of big games. Go with the big coach. I think Kirby Smart's a better coach. He's got more experience. He's coached bigger games. Um, I think with, with the Bama game, it was more juice, more like, God, third Saturday in October. We can't wait to beat these guys at home. We haven't done it in forever. I think with Georgia, it's more like shit. Now this is like one versus two. I mean, this is this is unreal. I, I think dogs get it dumped. They're just—I think they're the better team still.
2: Um, I think I think I got to go with Georgia. Spread honestly, it's everything I'm thinking about. Just trying to run it through my head. When's the last time we've seen like Georgia in a shootout? Just because I mean they're that dominant
3: on at Rose defense, Bowl, right? right? Georgia or with the uh, uh Oklahoma? Honestly, oh, yeah, probably yeah. Yes. yeah.
2: So yeah, what was that? 5 years ago or 4 yeah. years ago? Yeah, 54-48. What yeah. a game. And granted, tennis, Tennessee has a fantastic offense, so I guess it could be a shootout the first first one in 5 years or 4 years, but if if Georgia had truly has the best defense in the country, which I mean they've they've shown they probably do or at least top whatever three or five, I think they limit um Tennessee a little bit more than what Alabama did I think Georgia has more playmakers defensively and they have maybe the best offensive player at least pass catcher and Bowers I think is going to have a big game and I don't know we'll see I might think might be a top five Tennessee's, in college football Tennessee's defense might, might struggle more than Georgia's off- offense will personally se- if, if that's the weaker side of each team
1: yeah I this game this is such a tough game and and I think the number makes it even tougher, just okay. from like the the perspective as a gambler looking into it. Like, how could how could it be over the seven? I get maybe leaving leave a game, and I think it probably gets bet down to seven by um, by game time, so it'll be an even touchdown, even six and a half. But I think Georgia wins. I think Tennessee Beach, kind of like you said, um, the juice. There's probably no team – there's no team in the country with as much juice, with as much just momentum right now. But I think all things considered, Georgia flying under the radar, it being um, at Georgia, I think they win this game in a closer game. Uh, I think I mentioned it earlier, but uh, I – well, I I said I could see Tennessee winning uh, a lower-scoring game, but I think if I'm I'm putting my money on it, I'll probably stay away, but I think Georgia wins outright. I don't think they – They cover the number. Uh, We had some, I think we touched every part of that line though, between the, between the four of us. So uh, someone's winning, someone's losing this weekend, but uh, next one and another interesting one that we kind of touched on. um, Obviously every time these two play, there's some bad blood, there's some tension, there's some history and um, Alabama at LSU this weekend, Alabama right now sitting at 13 point favorites.
3: Oh, God. I mean, that's that's a big line. I think I think LSU covers that line. Bama wins it. But I mean, like we say, LSU playing a lot better, probably, you know, shouldn't have lost that opener in Florida State if they had some special teams. They've still been having if any one
1: of us could have been back there to catch a punt. Exactly. Alabama's a better
3: team. And like I said, I mean, they were penalties away from still being undefeated and, and beating Tennessee on the road. Um, Alabama's a better team. I think they're going to win that game. It, it's, I think it'll be a close game, though. I won't be surprised if LSU is hanging in there heading into the fourth. I think uh,
0: maybe the best bet of the year is buying a point and getting LSU to, like, 14 and a half. Uh, I, I don't see them losing at home by two touchdowns. I really don't. I mean, two touchdowns maybe, but not two touchdowns with that half a point. I, I think that I, they've been playing better. I think the Ryan Kelly's got to be a little excited to have, like, a shot at Bama from a non-Notre Dame perspective where you're playing them for a natty or you're playing them in a playoff or whatever it may be. Um, I think he'll want, like, a real crack at him. You know, you finally got a home crowd behind you, an SEC home crowd where, you, you know, you said bad blood. Uh, I just see – 14 and a half is probably one of the best plays you could make.
3: Yeah, I,
1: I agree beach. Um, I just think kind of with that and Brian Kelly, it's talked about a lot that whether LSU's a top five team or they're not, they're going to have top five athletes, you know, scattered across the field in Baton Rouge. Uh, I think that that's what's up this year. You know, um, we haven't seen the ceiling for Malik neighbors or Kayshawn Boutte or, uh, I think Jalen Daniels is kind of getting there finally, uh, but I think those guys are all insanely dynamic players that could give Bama fits, and when you have a guy like Jaden Daniels who is, no one has shown that they can stop him on the ground when he's talking, and I know Alabama will have a game plan for that, but he hasn't looked too bad dropping back either, so I think and it nothing's ever easy in gambling, but I really do think that at home in the in the uh, in Death Valley, I think they cover the 13.
2: I don't. It's it's funny to think about because they are probably two of the top whatever six coaches in college football, whatever the ranking is with Kelly. But they LSU and Bama might be the two most undisciplined teams in the whole country. Yeah. Just with, with Alabama's had two 17 penalty games, and you've seen all of LSU's mishaps. So from that perspective, I think I would go with Bama considering that it's Nick Saban and you would think that that that's gonna be righted more so than what Brian Kelly's yelling at some some dickhead catching a punt. Like it's or some something of that it resonates more
1: with Nick Saban, yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly. So I feel like Nick Saban's gonna write the ship. I mean, Brian Kelly has never he never really I guess I don't know if it's his coaching style, but some of these big games just—they gotta wait. They gotta wait pretty quick, at at least. So we'll see if Bama comes out strong. I think Kelly will—I don't know—he'll—he'll go into a shell, and we'll see what happens. But
3: I just quickly—I want to—I want to be on the record and say Brian Kelly will win a national title at LSU in his time there. I've never been more confident in it. Well, hit the
0: hot take button right there. He's he's got got the app.
3: He finally has the athlete. Where's the the nerd with the air horn, dude?
0: He doesn't yeah. have the
3: academic restrictions that he did at Notre Dame. He's got the guy, like you said, you know, the top five players there and whatnot. He's gonna win one.
1: Yeah, I'd hate to see it um, <laughs> from that Notre Dame perspective yeah. because he all it always seemed like that was a cop out for him. Like you know, I it's dude, you took the job, you kind of knew, and it's oh. and I I don't think that there are different standards, but it's not like it was. And we've had some absolute shitheads come through our program. in in recent years that uh, I know a lot of a lot of alumni and a lot of guys that that played with those Lou Holtz teams at Notre Dame, just hate that these kids got on the on the campus there, you know, the Max Redfields that are just getting caught yeah. with unregistered firearms and whatnot. And it's like, dude, you know, you're, you take pride in the fact that you're at a school that likes to flex the academic muscle nice. because if we're not going to then let's not and let's be lsu but oh, yeah. i know he kind of used that as may- not an excuse but maybe a crutch like hey what do you want from me i, I can't win a national championship here you need a two five instead of a two like whatever it is um i don't hate that because i think the they will have whether they get the quarterback or they get the defense i think it's possible but um Regardless, we're in for an absolute slate of college football this weekend. A lot of teams will, uh, will establish themselves, probably in that top eight, that will continue to have a shot in the last three weeks of the season, and and some teams might be might be outed. But uh, Joey, thank you so much for coming on, dude. What a it pleasure, was, boys. It was great, especially with with all that's going on in in Lansing, and uh, yeah,
3: been, a, been a fun time here. <laughs>
1: Jeez. I'm sure first I'm guest. Sure.
3: First guest, first guest uh, baby. And,
1: and, well, we, we had we had the guest. the uh, Demare Franklin interview, but uh, not a full time. This is the first full time guest. Not, I'm honored. I'm absolutely honored. Um, yeah, we appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> me and Martini will be in South Bend. Uh, this weekend, Beach will. I don't know. Are you going to be wearing the uh, the Tennessee bucket on Saturday? <laughs>
0: oh, I'll be. I'll be wearing my gaudy orange. I mean, yeah. uh, if there's a local Tennessee bar here. Might as well go see what that's all about, right?
1: <laughs> oh, all right. Well, uh, appreciate it again, fellas, and uh, we'll see you next week.
3: All right, boys. Kurt Cousins had a good year. Quavo gets cooking.
0: Get off.